This is AV Week, episode number 15 for November 12th, 2011. Tim killed Laserdisc. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news, information, and commentary for the AV industry. I would be your host, Tim Albright. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, With us this week is Matt Scott. He has about three or four different uh, personalities on the internet. One would be Matt Scott. One would be Matt Scott's hair. And probably the most importantly is Omega Audio Video. Hello, sir. How are you guys doing today? Doing very well. Uh, With us this week is a newbie. His name is Christopher Netto, or Chris Netto. Uh, he is an AV consultant with avhelpdesk.com. Hello, Chris. How you doing? Is it Chris or Christopher? It's Chris. Okay, that'll work. Uh, a couple things, uh, well, more than just a couple things. We have a whole stack of stuff here this week. There's a lot of, I'm going to say network stories this week. Um, everything from IPv4, IPv6, streaming, cord cutting, uh, HTML5, Flash going bye-bye, and that's why I want to start with the one that I want to start with. Yeah, I know. Uh, what I want to start with is this. It's, it's out of Asia, and, and follow me here because, you, you know, sometimes I, I get kind of crazy. It's from Asia One News, and what it is, in Thailand, uh, Singapore, actually, um, they have a new standard. It's, uh, it's, it's a standard for wiring houses. Uh, what it is 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 their their one of their building codes the IDA, they have put forth this future ready digital infrastructure uh, for mo- not only commercial buildings but also for homes, and what they're basically saying is you should there should be a standard for wiring houses in Singapore. There should be a a bare minimum that when someone buys a new home they should expect. Expect not only from the wiring, but also where the wiring and where where certain infrastructure and connection points are being placed. And I think they they're even putting they're putting uh, fiber into some of these houses, which which to me is a step beyond what what we do here in the states. Uh, my first question is: Is this something that we should do, or is it bemoaning the fact that oh, there's another standard that our our, our integrators and the building manufacturers have to go through, or um, you know, or is this cool? And the second question is. All right. If it's cool and we should do it, then what organization, uh, Matt, is going to make us do this? I guess. <laughs> I I think it's very cool. I think it's very good um, that we're finally getting some. You know, again, I know this is Asia, but finally getting some good residential standards that are popping up somewhere. Uh, it, it's something where you know, especially where where I am, we're happy if we get coax. <laughs> to the house, let alone fiber or anything else. Um, I know at my house, and I'm in a very nice area of our city, uh, w- w- they had to pull the coax out of the ground a couple of weeks after I moved in because it hadn't been updated since 76. And I'm like, really? Coax from 76? it's copper. I know, but it, it's still one of those... You know, we're supposed to be in, you know, the 20, 21st century and all this cool stuff and, you know, fiber. No, we don't have any of that near me. 
So the fact that they're bringing it and making it a standard and bringing it in, I think is good. And hopefully, you know, we'll get some areas around here, uh, this side of, you know, North America that'll kind of step up and say, hey, this is something that we're at least looking at because our, our infrastructure, both in Canada and the U.S., there are some areas where it's very advanced and then there's some areas where it's not advanced at all. <laughs> So, Chris, I am not a big government um, proponent, so let's turn there. But is this something where either the you know the the housing and urban development people or some group can say, "Hey, this this is a standard," or is this more of a of an industry standard that uh, a building standard committee can say, "Hey, this is something we should do"? Well, you're gonna you're, you're now gonna play with two different things. You have local and state and yeah. all that in in play. When you're building the house, you know, um, similar to the development where I live, you know, we have underground power and underground phone, underground this, that, and the other thing. That's great. You know, the community was built in the 90s. Once you go out of here, you have telephone poles, you have copper, you have everything up in the trees. So with the recent storms, for example, I had no problems here. Don't have to worry about tree power lines, whatever, getting cut. You know, everywhere else is still up and above. You can do whatever you want within the home. But it's similar to what Matt's saying. Until cities, states start adopting, you know, we need to move to the next generation of, of wire or, new, new gen, you know, fiber or whatever. Um, we do need something. And I think it, it's, it's going down the right path. You know, wiring the buildings, I think, is the first step. You know, wiring houses would be the first step in, in making that happen. You know, I would love to have all my cable go to my garage, for example, terminate on a block and that was the builder that was hey 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 yeah you're asking a lot there i you know it's <laughs> well, and the- here's here's a question that because I, I don't know i'm not a builder i don't i don't pretend to be one i, I do well to do what my, my wife asks me in the house uh is this what's the best way to ask this question are there local standards that says this is the bare minimum wiring that you do and this is where you put it or is it just by each each builder on his own? Or if you're building, if you're fortunate enough to build your own home, you can specify to the builder, "Hey, this is where I want this." I, um, I personally don't think that um, you're, you're seeing builders even consider still network and TV uh, in, as part of their. I mean, they they will do the RF, you know, your your cable standard cable wiring in the house, and that's that's about as far as they go. But I don't think that's even a consideration in a lot of builders' minds. Yeah, I know I know with most of the builders that we deal with, it is the farthest thing from their minds. They could care less um, what you have in the house uh, from a, a tech point of view. They don't think about it. They don't put any um, resources into it at all. And you're usually stuck with an electrician and whatever they're going to run, which is usually fairly limited. Um, for us, it's something that, you know, again, I I think it would be great if there was a standard for, you know, even just the basic, you know, white can boxes at some point in the house where everything's going to terminate so that it gives, you know, the homeowner the ability to, to do a little bit more than what they want. The, the biggest thing that still cracks me up to this day is that I walk into any new home. I was in one this morning, uh, doing a quote for a customer and they had a uh, you know TV set to go into their their master bedroom, and I looked at it and went, oh, awesome! There's a cable plug, you know, five feet off the off the floor, 
for the for the TV. That's great for an electrician who says, "Hey, we're going to pull cable for this spot for the TV." Where are you going to put the box? And I know AT and T just brought out uh, a wireless Uverse box, but you know, again, it, it's that whole. That's the standard thought that builders have: is hey, you know, they're going to put a TV here, throw a piece of coax there, yeah. and there's no thought given to in this day and age. I don't know anybody who still really has a TV without a cable box of some form somewhere. There is rumors around here, and I haven't seen it, and this is in the New Jersey area of the cable company that actually provides the small um, oh, the cable, mini boxes. The mini box. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the closest you're going to find to a solution. But are those HD? Yeah, that's the other thing. Because <laughs> I know ours, like, I know we have many, we have the little tiny boxes that are, you know, not much bigger than a, like a external hard drive. But none of them are HD. Let me ask you guys this again, because I'm not a big fan of the government, so I'm by no means going to say, hey, you know, Congress, you should get on this and make this a standard. Uh, but there is, this is something that in my mind, uh, this is something that either Infocom step could, can come in and say, this is by wiring for the future. And I'm not saying putting, put in fiber, but put in, you know, put, put in, you know, cat five, cat six, cat seven, uh, some sort of category cable that can handle IPV six and maybe a little bit beyond and yeah, fiber would be great, but by putting in this cable, you're going to get X amount of step points for making it easier to reduce the overall uh, footprint. Does that make sense to anybody or or am I stretching here to try to not get the government to do it, but more get an industry to do it? I'm, I'm with you. I would much rather have less government control in, in that, you know, type of area. I don't need the government telling me what I can do with a TV or, you know, with internet in my house. Um, Getting it to an industry standard would be much, much greater. But again, you know that that comes down to the the same issue we've had with lead for so many years. Of you know, you can have an ICF form will get you this huge amount of lead points, but you could put a full energy management system in the house that actually is you know really going to help save energy, and they accredit nothing to that yeah. or next to nothing. Maybe so that's why I'm asking about, or and maybe Infocom isn't the isn't the the trade organization for it. Maybe somebody else is. Yeah, it, it's probably somebody you know more like the um, the big home builder association, which I'm blanking on at the moment. Um, but again, getting them to actually do it, because uh, I know in my experience as a as a resi guy, builders love anything that they can a tout as a selling feature, but more importantly, make money on. Yeah. They really don't, uh, definitely from a tech side of view, they don't care how cool it is, what it does, blah, 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 blah. They just view it as cutting into their bottom line. It See, to me, they can make money on this. They I, could totally I would agree. Make money on this. It's just convincing them that they can make money on it. Right. You know, it, it's the same as when we go and, you know, push lighting control. Builders are scared to death of it, it seems, and yet – you know, when you look at it, it's you're selling a hundred and fifty dollar dimmer, or or switch or whatever versus a one ninety nine dimmer. So yes, it's going to cost more money, but how much profit is that dealer making off his regular switch he's putting in? And what's like the wow cents? factor of that once you know? Yeah, exactly. And yet, you know, I understand that you understand that, 
our industry for the most part understands that, but the building industry is still by and large oblivious to it. They still don't grasp it unless someone who's listening to this has figured out a way to convince them of that and then let me know. <laughs> you'll, you'll be hearing from them shortly. Hopefully. Uh, from AV Technology, a uh, very cool website and magazine, Phil Hip and Steel. Uh, Phil uh, writes a a column, basically it's an answer column. Uh, this was a letter to him asking what the biggest impact uh, IPv6 is going to have on the AV professionals. Chris, we'll start with you. The uh, Phil goes on in to say, you know, one of the biggest things is the fact that the data packet is bigger. You're going from four bytes to sixteen bytes, which I get. It also goes into the fact that there are two more numbers instead of, you know, 192.168.1.1. There's two more dot ones. But it's more than that. It's the fact that there are a number of devices, and unfortunately I, I know a number of, of AV devices, that aren't IPv6 capable. So when they throw the switch and say, okay, we're all IPv6, you're going to have some switchers and some network devices that are just going to choke and die. Yeah. Um, how big of an issue is this? Uh, no, nothing against Phil. I actually feel, agree with, with most of what Phil says. How big of an issue is this for the industry as a whole? Well, if, you're, if, if you want to take the corporate perspective, this is already a challenge for IP groups or IT groups within companies. Uh, they're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. Once you add the layer of video, you know, they're still trying to figure that out. You, know, you mean, you mean AVB? Or just video in general, just streaming I'm, stuff? I'm talking about a, a video over IP. Okay, so streaming. And, and, streaming and stuff like that. I mean, you still have corporate corporate um, customers out there that haven't upgraded their wiring internally, haven't upgraded their switches because it's good enough. And <laughs> mm-hmm. under the current you know, economic situation where companies are constantly you know, cutting back and doing all this stuff, their infrastructure is being affected by this. So those switches that were scheduled to be replaced a couple years ago are going to have to go a little further. You know, uh, you, I, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> Honestly, on a corporate <laughs> level, it's really going to be, it's a ticking time bomb because you want to say lights out to IP, you know, uh, IPv4 and lights on to, to, to V6 and, it's not going to happen overnight, and if anything, it's going to be um, – it's going to cause a lot of heartache. Well, here's a silly, naive question on my, my part. Uh, why didn't they reverse engineer some stuff, or why haven't they reverse engineered IPv6 to handle IPv4? This is no different than when I was in, in college and in high school We, you know, when the PS1 came out. <laughs> and they introduced the PS2, I could play my PS1 games on my PS2. That so, didn't last longer. Well, I'm, I'm just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm being very simplistic here because I don't really understand why they wouldn't do that. What is a PS2? Oh, shut up, Matt. <laughs> it's a Sorry, large I, device that you put a quarter in, and then you take this little <laughs> yellow guy named Pac-Man, and you 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 try to gobble up all the all the dots before the oh, ghost yeah, gets no, you. Yeah, no, I remember Pac-Man. I just yeah. okay. Um, yeah, I why they didn't set it up properly to handle that, I don't know. I'm sure that there was probably some reason that seemed more valid than the uh, the benefit of switching. 
the 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 biggest plus, if you will, that I see about this is that yes, it's going to cause a lot of heartache for corporations, but uh, you know, and small businesses and whatever. But the plus that I see is that it it's kind of one of those forced upgrade opportunities that some of us installers kind of like because it. Yes, it sucks that they're going to have to go and spend money, but the plus is is that there's now a boatload of corporations that are going to need, at the very least, um, you know, some service calls to update firmware if that's something that they don't either have a tech department for. If you can do that. Or, if you can. But that that's the thing. I know there are some devices, and again, when we're talking corporate, unless that device is dramatically older, it should be capable, you know, all, all the smart switches that somebody's bought in the last 10 years, I would have to assume the majority of them would be firmware updatable. Because again, we're not talking like a, a you know, $90 D-Link switch that you bought at Staples. We're talking enterprise, you know, again, for for a large portion of the 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 corporate world, we're talking the larger, you know, smart web switches from Cisco or from you know, whoever that are much more technically advanced than a lot of these other ones and should be able to be upgraded. Like, how, how long have we been talking that IP6 um, is coming? Like, how many years has it been? Okay, but I'm not talking about, about switches. And switches, yeah, I get. And, and you know, the getting, you know, the guys at the corporate level to, you know, switch out their switches. Yeah, I, I get that. What I'm talking about is you have a Kramer switcher or you have an AMX yeah. switcher that's six or seven years old that at the time was IP was was IP capable because that was the new cool thing. Uh, both Extron, Crestron, AMX, Kramer, all those guys had devices that you can put on the network. I would, and I, I could be wrong about this, but let's say that you have a device that's eight years old. In the corporate and the education world, that's half life. You know that that's that's not even you're, you're about fifty percent of what you expect to get out of that yeah, because you don't buy this every day. You don't even buy it every five or six years. You expect to get ten, fifteen years, years out of, of this sucker. Even though you know your consultant told told you not to, you understand where you're how much money you've got on a yearly basis. So your IT department is chugging along, doing their due diligence, and hey, we're getting ready to do IPv6. Whereas the technology manager, you know, down in the basement, who has does, doesn't know it, is it included in on the on the on the emails that the IT department is putting out, has no clue, and then all of a sudden they flip a switch, he gets a, a, a mass email to ev- from from you know to everybody in the company saying, hey, yay, you know, we're now IPv6, and he starts getting his phone starts ringing off the hook because none of his stuff is working. Yeah, and that that is where the big issue is going to come. Yeah. Is that those will be the those will be the situations where, you know, unfortunately they're just going to have to like what's the, what's the option if it, if it's not something that's field upgradable, they're going to be forced to upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, I understand why we had to go to IP six, but it, it's it's just one of those <laughs> troublesome things that. Unfortunately, people will have to upgrade. Yeah, and I do too. I mean, I think I think it's going to be a great thing, especially for AVB once once IPv6 gets up and running fully. Um, oh yeah, with everybody. I mean, that's going to be a huge boon for that. You just don't want to be that campus guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It's all on room, room management's uh, capability. Yeah, I mean, uh, you. you I may- <laughs> all of a sudden, half of your rooms you can't see anymore, and you don't know why. 
Teach us Where to did they go? What? Hey, oh, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get total evil here. So <laughs> let's say that you have you have certain <laughs> protocols in your room management software that says, you know, email security when this stops responding. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they flip a switch. And, like, their security department is inundated. Oh, my God, we've lost 100 pieces of, of equipment or 100 rooms. Somebody has stolen. We've just got hit by the biggest bandits in history. It'll be our Y2K. Yeah. 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 You know, it's then, in that in that sense. Yeah. You the that change is is going to be um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Along the same internet route, uh, the um, Inform IT website, Larry Anderson wrote an interesting article called Seven Reasons to Move to HTML5. I'll give you one more than what he does, and we'll go through a couple of them. Um, one I, I like a lot is easier code management because, you know, code always excites me. Uh, self-checking in- <laughs> input forms. Uh, media sanity, which is where we're, where I'm going to go to another story, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk this over. What what I, I gather from this, and I am not a huge um, internet HTML guru, as Matt can attest, because he's <laughs> he's he's my webmaster for for AV Nation. <laughs> this this allows you to embed audio and video into well, video, but I'm assuming there's there's also probably an audio portion to this mm-hmm. as well, straight into the browser without a player, without anything like that. And this moves us on to another story that we have this week in the stack about Adobe killing Flash, at least Yay. for mobile. But that's almost like a death knell, Matt. I mean, you—it's it, almost like the writing's on the wall. Yeah, we killed it for mobile, but we're keeping the other stuff. Eh, no, they're not. No, it—you know—Flash has been for for a, a really long time. Flash was near and dear to my heart. It was some of the first animation stuff I worked with back when it was like Flash Two. Um, and we were action scripting like crazy and feeling all special about stuff we could make. Um, the downside of it for web has always been, you know, yes, it looked awesome, but you, you were so limited in what you could do. And now that web has become such an all-encompassing uh, area, the fact that, you know, Flash has been so limiting has been very frustrating. So the fact that HTML5 is allowing you to finally embed stuff properly without going out and finding a player, without, you know, all those additional issues that were always involved is going to be really, really good. And to segue back over to the, the Flash side real quick, it, you know, as soon as Apple came out and it was, there was no Flash on the Apple, it was like, really? No Flash? I can't watch anything online. And even a couple of weeks ago, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who was looking at upgrading and that was his big, oh, I need Flash. I'm like, Really? What sites do you actually watch that you need Flash on? Yeah. And his response was, oh, well, a bunch. And I'm like, man, every time I open a site that's heavy Flash, my, my browser crashes. It doesn't matter if it's Mozilla, if it's Firefox, if it's Safari, if it's Chrome. If it's heavy Flash, it's buggy, it's going to crash. So, again, the, the fact that HTML5 has come and, uh, you know, I think – I'm kind of sad that Jobs has, you know, already passed because he would have loved to see this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's probably cheering wherever he's, you know, frozen um, about how awesome this is. <laughs> I don't think Steve Jobs was frozen. He's, but, he's, he's, he said, see, yeah. I told you. Yeah, I, know. I told you. Uh, yeah, it, 
again, just what you can do with HTML5 is just so much more uh, impressive and in-depth compared to, and not that you were ever really limited in HTML5, but or sorry, in standard HTML, but they've just brought in so many more things that we've been waiting for for so long. Uh, where in the past we've either had to, you know, again, with video use, different players, with a bunch of other stuff, you know, get into JavaScript and all this other stuff. Now it, it just it keeps evolving into better, better stuff. But we, we were limited, though. And, and Chris, you can talk about this for a second. I mean, one of the things, one of the drawbacks that, that I discovered in, in, in doing a website, uh, fully a full website with, with actual content and stuff, uh, that wasn't just writing, but but you know every week we we post this podcast, and every week we we try to find you know a, a way to hopefully hopefully seamlessly let people listen to the podcast. And it was good lord two months before we discovered a a piece of code again. You know, Matt was talking about that uh, we could embed into the site that allowed people to play the content seamlessly. HTML five will allow us to seamlessly do that. Is my understanding. Chris? Are you- oh, you don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I'm, fi- I'm waiting for you to finish the conversation. I, you know, when it comes to this whole HTML, the four and a five thing, you know, I, I haven't coded since I was in, I guess, college. And I, I hated it. it. It was horrible. It was hard. And to be honest with you, as long as my computer doesn't need a flash update anymore, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll just put the I'll just put both together there and say, let's move to the next one because HTML5. If that's if that's the way to go, you guys have uh, you know a lot more experience on that than I do. But speaking as the you know the novice, I guess in this, I I, I can't I can't figure out why you know Flash is the problem. I can't figure out why HTML4 stinks, but. Everything I've heard from people that I know that are that are into the, the coding and all that say it's the right way to go. And, you know, my thing that grabs, you know, from my perspective is the whole geolocation thing that I like. You know, I'm big into that, in, into mobile. And that's where this is, the whole thing is, is going. You know, it's taking this whole thing and putting it out on mobile. What's even cool about that also is the ability to... Not that people love ads, but there's you know a, a certain trade off. You give some, you know, you give the content for free. You put up with the ads. You but can, our web guys love ads. Yeah, <laughs> you can. I I like the geolocation too because of that. You know, not that not that we have ads on our site, but you know, if anybody wants to, eventually, yeah, absolutely. Just wait, they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not opposed to it. Let's put it that way. Uh, but you've got. You've got the ability to personalize. You're, you're you're in Jersey. Matt's in 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 Ontario. So you know I could put, you know, an ad for the Devils or an ad for you know any number of uh, hockey teams uh, for Matt. So you know that was the only thing I could think of over the top of my head <laughs> was, yeah, was hockey. You. So, but but that to <laughs> me, yeah, I agree with you about the geolocation again. I didn't say specific. <laughs> Never mind. It was a Canadian theme behind that one. It was. it was. It was. It was. Go hockey. Yeah. I like hockey. I know you do. You don't, but I like not hockey. Really. It, you know what? Hockey's awesome if I'm at the game. If I'm not at the game and it's not like a final, I'm not watching it. Case hockey. in point, I've got a you know SEC football game on right now. Hockey was great. Cool. My team was relevant. So. Well, yes. Yeah. That was about <laughs> yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. ago. So. Well, I'm not. I'm not even talking about. I'm not a you know a devil fan, so oh. I'm not even going to go into what team I'm rooting for. Just to. Oh, but keep... see, now we need to know. 
I grew up a New York Islander fan. Oh, gosh, that's sad. It is. I'm not even a fan, and I know that's sad. It's, it's been rough. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> sorry so so your team was relevant about the same time mine was so the blues the blue the blues broke into the league going to the finals and losing all three times and haven't been back since so it's the brett hall curse it it he wasn't even alive well he was alive then but he wasn't playing then uh back to some av stuff my favorite my favorite red sox fan craig mccormick uh, over at Commercial Integrator, wrote a very interesting article called AV Integrators Are Losing the Digital Signage Battle. Uh, basically goes on to say this. He was uh, in, a, uh, in, in a conference or in a, in a, in a meeting uh, during Infocom this year with a couple hundred uh, integrators, and somebody asked how many people were doing digital signage. He said maybe a dozen people raised their hand. I find this an issue, but I also see where where they're coming from here. Uh, a couple of the quotes say that, that that it's such a long, drawn-out sales cycle, which I get. So AV guys are stuck you know, with product and with, with, with meeting with the customers back and forth and back and forth. The other thing is that nobody really knows or understands what this stuff can do. Uh, Chris, is, is this going to be an issue for AV guys, or should they and are they relegating this back to the IT guys and say, eh, I don't mess with it. That would be nice if there was only one target where you want to send it back to. The problem with digital signage is that when you take this to a commercial customer, they have so many groups within their organization that runs, that could run this. You know, there is the public relations side that should be writing and controlling the content. The content's big. You have the IT people that need to certify all the equipment that goes into the site. So a lot of the times, these player units cause a lot of heartaches because they need to be imaged to the company's computer standards. You know, um, And that's just two groups. There's the maintenance of it. Who's going to continue to maintain it if they have an, you know, an, an on-site AV uh, group that could keep up with it and for the most part all they're going to do is maintain the displays or the actual physical hardware so there's just way too many parties involved and you haven't even installed it yet and to bring all those people to the table becomes a really long drawn out process because there has to be agreement from everybody and it usually is a major hold up and a major stumbling block Matt, is this something as as my buddy Michael Drainer has has educated me on with being an integrator? Uh, is this where the cost of sale—that's my buzzword, my my knowledge and mm-hmm. my limitation of me knowing what integrators go through—is the cost of sale too great because of the number of meetings and because of how many hands you have to hold? Yeah, I I would say it, it definitely is a major factor. The you know we've looked at doing. Um, digital signage quite a few times and we've even quoted it uh, quite a few times for a couple of different local companies around and when we're dealing with a smaller company sure we can do it we can get you the player we can get it out the door you'll be happy but when we get into those larger companies and again the ones that have so many facets that we have to go through it does become honestly more work than it's worth a lot of times and not that you can't make money at it but there's there seems to be this big established base of mainly IT guys that are selling you know, selling digital signage who a have the the presence to do it 
but B are, you know, they're those companies that are saying, hey, we're going to essentially sell you the gear for next to nothing and sign you on a three-year content contract, which is fine because they're large enough they can support that. But there's a lot of the, you know, smaller integrators who are just not able to do that. You can't go into a large store and subsidize the cost of, you know, even say four displays, four panels and, and all the infrastructure to do it at almost no sale cost and just rely on, uh, you know, the recurring revenue of the, the actual content. Then it becomes the whole side of content creation. And that's where I think most of the AV guys are unable to, to really make a, a valid attempt at, at the sale of it because it, it, there's just there's such a large package that you have to deal with to get it you know, signed and done and out the door. Not to mention, you know, again, once you add all those different hands in, if you're having to get approvals from four or five different departments who usually aren't talking to each other very well, uh, you know, you do get into that right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing, and you as the integrator become that person that's trying to figure it all out. So it, it's very, very hard to do as, as an AV guy. And again, the larger integrators, yeah, they're going to have a much easier time at it. But as smaller guys try and get into it, um, it's it's fine when you're with those smaller, you know, those smaller customers. But as soon as you know you get into even like a large grocery store, it, it that's where it becomes a just a huge huge headache. And yeah, you can make a lot of decent money off the uh, you know off the content sales and everything else. But especially if that's not stuff that you can do in house. If you don't have a guy that can put together some decent-looking graphics and program it properly and do that time effectively, you 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 just can't make money at it. Or so is, is again, this I can't. Where selling it <laughs> at cost would, or are, are these guys really, really just undercutting them that much? Well, let me let me give you an example. I have a, a couple customers, and uh, they own some Subway stores, Subway sandwich shops. And we had looked at, they had been told, hey, you guys need to start putting, you know, DS into your, into your stores and, you know, play our content, play our commercials with Jared and you can smile and, you know, awesome. And, uh, you know, so they came to me because we, we manage a lot of their networks and a bunch of other stuff and said, hey, can you, can you give us a quote on this? So I'm like, sure, no problem. Subway was going to supply all the the actual you know video content there was really almost no creation that need needed to be done and we put together a nice quote you know had the the equipment at a very aggressive price point you know still not necessarily right at cost but very aggressive and you know my customer came to me i think like a week after you know we had presented the quote to her with the official quote that had come down from corporate saying, hey, this is our approved supplier for you to use. Now, you don't have to use them, but this is one of our approved out the door. And I looked at the quote, and they're selling you know, a $2,000 commercial panel for nothing. It was strictly tied into their service. And again, that's where, you know, myself, I... Yes, I, will I make more money on the you know on the content and putting it together and managing that panel over time? Yes, but is my company large enough at this point to where 
we can float, you know, multiple stores with say even $3,000 worth of gear plus installation waiting on that, you know, that, that recurring revenue to come in. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have the, you know, I, yeah, we're just, we're not capable of doing that. Whereas again, this larger company was mainly an IT company. They were nationwide and well, actually they were, yeah, well nationwide, but out of the States nationwide. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can't, you know, I, I went back to her and said, you know what, honestly, you should buy it from them. <laughs> yeah. I would much rather get the sale and I know you'd probably do it, you know, just to, you know, continue our relationship, uh, in this faucet facet as well. But I can't even in, in, you know, good, good spirits recommend that you buy from us when they're doing it at the same, you know, everything's the same except they're not charging you wow. for that gear. Wow. 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 Yeah, it's fun. Fun. <laughs> All right, you are listening to AV Week. With us this week is Chris Netto. He is from avhelpdesk.com. Also with us is Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video. Coming up, we're going to talk about cord cutting and flexible screens, which has me all excited. But something we started last week that, uh, you know what, we're going to keep continuing because I'm too stubborn to stop, is uh, the AV job, job of the week. week. <laughs> See, I said I wasn't going to do it, and then I did it. And then you did it. You see, I see what you did there. Uh, we'll be back after this. We're going to talk to two. Uh, we're going to have two jobs for you this week. So, All right, it's time for AV Week's Job of the Week. Last week, we introduced you to uh, some European and the UK jobs. This week, we're going to do both across the pond and here in the United States. With us is Marty Raymond. Marty is from avjoblistings.com. Hello, Marty. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well, doing good. Uh, Tell me a little bit about AV job listings, kind of how you guys got started and, and what you guys do. Well, originally we are, we are actually Harness Technology and we were um, very heavily involved in the recruiting business here and for the AV industry, of course, in New York City. And uh, one of the things we noticed was a lot of companies were um, not too happy with the, with the current um, websites out there that are, that are giving uh, uh, job listings for the AV industry. So we saw a need in the and it's pretty much a gap in the industry here, and, and we figured, okay, we can actually make a site that's a little more comprehensive, a little more interactive for the for the folks out there. And we came up with the uh, with the whole idea of avjoblistings.com. Very cool. Uh, you've talked with your people, the guys that are on your site, and you have for us a job for this week. What is it? Yes, uh, this week the job of the week that we're highlighting is um, a job with Yorktel over in Los Angeles, California. And it's the VTC MCU bridge operated pr- uh, uh, position that they have open. Uh, this is a position that uh, I believe is, has been open for a while, so they're, they're very uh, uh, eager to get it filled. So I'm pretty sure there's someone out there in the L.A. area, if not the L.A. area, somewhere around there, that might actually be interested in this. And um, <clears throat> if, uh, if, if, you, if you don't mind, uh, I'll just go over the, uh, the actual the things that they're looking for, oh, yeah, the, the qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, obviously, it's someone that uh, has to be uh, familiar with Polycom, MCU tools, has some form of help desk uh, experience, an understanding of IP networks, and extensive knowledge of uh, H320 and H323 video conferencing standards. Uh, some of the equipment they'd like to see the, uh, the folks also familiar with is RAD Vision equipment, such as the ECS Gatekeeper and the VIA IP Gateway. Of course, an understanding of uh, the Polycom Global Management Systems, uh, MGC, uh, view station, VSX, HDX endpoints. 
Uh, and they're looking for someone with about one to three years of experience in the video conferencing field as well. So not not an, an, an aged veteran, but somebody at least who knows what they're doing around a, a BTC. Right, right. Someone who understands what they're doing, someone who knows who, when they sit in front of the equipment, uh, will have no uh, problems or issues in, uh, in controlling the equipment. Um, I think most important is an understanding of how to launch the, the, the calls, how to schedule the calls, how to uh, introduce calls and whatnot. So they, they just, they're just looking for someone who's a, a, a good operator of the, uh, the MCO bridge system for, for their clients. So if somebody is a VTC operator, bridge operator, and are in the Los Angeles area or has always wanted to live in California, uh, <laughs> how, do they, uh, how do they go about uh, applying for the job? Well, uh, you can go to the uh, to the jobs. I'm sorry, to the to the website avjoblistings.com. Uh, when you click on the the field for the VTC MCU bridge operator at Yorktel, at the bottom there's a um, a brief uh, uh, description of how to actually apply, who to apply to, and also there's a this. In fact, the, the website also gives you um, uh, a a quite, I'm sorry a, a button that you can actually press and you can. Populate it with your uh, resume and uh, your cover letter, and it will automatically send it to the folks over at Yorktel. Awesome. So the website, again, is avjoblistings.com, avjoblistings.com. Marty, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And with us again is Pat Dealey. Pat is from avjobs.co.uk. Hello, Pat. Hello, Tim. How are you? I am doing wonderful. How are you? I'm marvelous, thank you. Pat is from avjobs.co.uk, and in case you don't know much about the internet, the .co and .uk part means that she is from jolly old England. Uh, they deal with AV jobs uh, over in Europe and into the Middle East. So, uh, Pat, what sort of, uh, of job do you have for us this week? Okay, thanks, Tim. Well, actually, we've had lots of new jobs in this week, um, so it's a bit tough to find just one, but I will find just one. Um, but for any others, obviously, just check out the website. Um, the one that I want to talk about is for a broadcast and media solutions salesperson. Um, it's for an account manager within the broadcast and media solutions industry. And it's working for a major vendor. It's based in the UK and it's covering UK and Ireland. It needs someone who's experienced within broadcast and media solutions, is a good solutions consultant, and obviously knows the accounts such as CNN, BBC, ITV, Sky, all of those sorts of guys. Um, it's very well paid with an excellent salary and the package is um, 80000 or so with a car allowance, pension, healthcare, etc. So that's a broadcast media solutions account manager. Wow. And if somebody's interested in that, um, how would they get a hold of you or how would they, they apply for the job? Well, they can either email me, which is, sorry, frog in the throat, okay. which is pat at avjobs.co.uk um, and, and send me their uh, CV. Or they can check out on the internet on www.avjobs.co.uk and find a link on there. Or call me on 0844-884-9150. All right. That's abjobs.co.uk. This week's Job of the Week is a broadcast media solutions specialist, uh, account manufacturer covering the UK and Ireland. Uh, if I was a broadcast media solutions specialist, I'd love to. I don't know, though, that my wife would let me move to Ireland. So 
Um, it is for 80K a year and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, if that's not your thing, uh, but you're over in, in, in Europe or in the Middle East, check out avjobs.co.uk. Thank you very much, Pat. Thanks a lot, Tim. Talk to you again. All right. Take care. Bye. We're back with AV Week. You are listening to Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video and also Chris Snedo from avhelpdesk.com. This week, uh, Steve Sechrist uh, wrote on Rave Pub's blog. Uh, Steve is a, a blogger for Rave Pub's. Also, he works for Insight Media. A article that I found interesting, and I also agree with a, a lot of what he's saying. Basically, he goes through and looks at a bunch of the cable companies' numbers from this past quarter. Uh, real quickly, we'll go through it, and he's talking about whether or not cord cutting is a phenomenon or a result of the economy. And if you don't know what cord cutting is, basically it's what it's when a customer uh, eliminates or, or cancels their cable service or their satellite service uh, and just goes with what they can find on the Internet. Uh, Comcast lost 165,000 subscribers in the, in the last quarter. Time Warner lost 128,000. Dish lost 111,000 customers. Uh, DirecTV was the was the only major player uh, that had gains, and, and most analysts say that was because of, of the uh, Sunday ticket that they have. However, these guys are spinning it as a good thing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how you, you spin the fact that you lost people as a good thing, except that Comcast was saying, well, you know, we didn't lose as many people as we did in, uh, in, in 2010, which was 275,000 people. That's a lot of cancellations, um, and they're, they're blaming the economy. But as Steve points out, they're getting more Internet subscribers. In the same period, Comcast lost 165,000 cable subscribers, but gained 261 Internet customers. Chris, how do you come down on this whole cord cutting thing is this just a, a a function of the fact that we are in a down economy or are people simply finding alternatives that they like and they enjoy to paying one flat rate for you know 75 percent of channels that they won't they won't watch and don't like um it's it's a bunch of everything mixed together uh basically the way i see it is that um yeah the economy has a lot to do with it uh, I, for one, still have cable, haven't completely cut the cord, but um, I did cut the cord to my pay channels because, mm-hmm. you know, the way I see it, why am I going to pay for, for movies when I can go to a streaming company and get it for a third of the price? So I substituted, uh, you know, streaming movies. Yeah, the quality uh, you know, may not be there, but if I want, I can go buy the movies and watch them in 1080p 3d at home if I want. Um, but why am I going to pay, you know, uh, $15, $20, whatever the package price is to have the movie channels when I could pay eight bucks a month and have the same quality and variety and control it when I want to turn it on or off. The downside is going to be the minute the customer gets that one up, on the cable companies and is doing what I did, for example, you know that the rates are going to go changing on the net side. So um, once you start doing heavy streaming, they're going to start capping. If that, Well, they're doing that now. Yeah, but, they're doing, they're, they're, a lot of them are doing that now. Yeah. So 
this is the the game that we play. It's back and forth, back and forth. It's going to continue happening. Eventually, the content's going to be on the internet, and they are the not only are they the providers, but you know, the TV stations and the network stations and all that are you know they're they're going to realize this. And I, I, I don't know. I I just see that it's 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 going to go net. It's only a matter of time. But that's my opinion. Matt, is this uh is this just kind of you know hey because we're all in a down economy and none of us have any money, or is it because the cable companies are evil and we want to get as far away from them? The cable companies are evil. <laughs> They're totally no, no, they are. Well, definitely where we are. Maybe not are, evil, evil-ish. No, no, here they're evil. Okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. It's <laughs> yeah, it's it's very evil up here. I'm not a not a fan. If I could get you know direct TV and get full cable or well full satellite and get you know the 500 channels and Sunday ticket and all this other stuff for you know what are what are what is it 60 bucks 80 bucks um, a month I'd do it in a second with what we pay up here um, that being said I, I think it's a little bit of both it's definitely the economy it's definitely people just getting frustrated with uh, with their cable suppliers but the I think the other fact that was kind of overlooked a little bit is cable doesn't so much, uh, and I'm going to use cable and satellite in to mean the same thing. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. The cable doesn't really fit most people's lifestyle anymore. Yes, there's still those people who come home every day, turn on the TV, sit down, and do nothing but watch it from you know six o'clock to midnight. There's still those people. But for a lot of us, we don't we don't schedule our lives as much around, say, that specific show that we like. We may love, you know, NCIS, but are we going to make sure that every Tuesday night we're home to watch it? Maybe not. Maybe not. Especially when we can either, you know, go on demand or go online or go to was that CBS.com and watch it if you live in the U.S., whenever you want. Did you catch that? Did you see what I, I did? <laughs> yes. um, you know, so that's that's the big thing. Like, I was looking at, or we were watching something last night. My wife and I were sitting down. I think it was like 10 o'clock. We finally kind of sat down, chilled for a little bit, and put on Person of Interest. And I think it's a cool show. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But I don't even know when that airs. I don't know what day it's on. I don't really know what channel it's on, to be honest. But I watch it on either uh, our on-demand streaming or I watch it on my iPad. I caught the first three episodes in bed while my wife was sleeping on my iPad. See, and I, I think that's kind of where we're going. Now, yeah, there, there, there is a group of, of people who are going to always come home by 5 o'clock, watch you know, NBC Nightly News at 5.30. And plan their life around it, and those exactly. are going to be older people. Nothing against yeah. older people, but no, that you know, once you get what, to, yeah, yep. that's a generational thing. There is a, a focus, and we've talked about Gen X, you know, here and, and Generation Y and and stuff. And, and Matt, you're on that cusp. I'm a firm, you know, I'm fully ensconced in the uh, in the Generation <laughs> X. Uh, I have nowhere to go, so I'm I'm a Gen Xer, and I think our generation. Is kind of where we're, we have feet in both both media minds. 
Uh, mm-hmm. There's a number of, I would love to cut the cord. I would cut the cord in a heartbeat if my wife would let me. <laughs> and, I, I, and I'm not saying that to, to, to patronize my wife, but she, she has certain things that she likes, and she, she likes the, the lean back mode, if you will. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're sitting on the couch, you're leaning back, you have the remote in your hand, and that's how you're controlling your content. And until I can get to a point where I can emulate that uh, and cut the cord at the same time, I'm stuck either with cable or, or, or dish of some sort. But my kids are, are already, you know, they, they watch a handful of shows that, that, that they've caught on to and we DVR them or we, they can watch them on, on the Internet. And they don't know when they are or when, you know, when they're playing. They, uh, will, they'll go over to my dad's house who does not have a, a DVR. And, you know, he's in his 60s and he's one of these people that, you know, if he wants to watch a show and it's on, cool. If it's not, eh, no big deal. But they'll get, you know, a little, you know, not bent out of shape, but, but questioning why, why Pawpaw doesn't have, you know, the Fresh Beat Band on his TV whenever they want to watch it. Yeah. It, and again, that's that's what I think it it is more so than any of these really other things. It's just uh, more people are finding ways to better adapt their their usage and their their intake of TV in general in different ways. Now, I personally, I don't think I could ever cut the cord. I don't want to. <laughs> and I in Canada where we are, I really can't. Mm-hmm. The like I can't go to NBC, CBS, ABC and watch something streamed from their website. Now I can go to Global and watch stuff that's streamed, but I can't go back and watch. You know, I, I might get two episodes, maybe three at the most. I can't go back and watch the season premiere of Big Bang. Let's it's see, not going to happen. This goes to we we actually have this in, in the stack too. This goes back to. I think media companies, though, are getting this. I think I don't think the cable companies are. I think the media companies are. <laughs> yes. Uh, Disney has signed a, a, a multi-million dollar, yeah, multi, it's, it's 10 to $15 million deal with YouTube. This is not so YouTube can show the Mickey Mouse Club. This is YouTube exclusive content that Disney has created. That's yeah. huge. That is absolutely huge. Ten years ago. Uh, Disney and, and, and the, you know, then Disney is the, the big parent company of ABC and ESPN and, and all this other stuff. We're screaming and yelling just as much as CBS and Viacom and, 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 and all these other guys about pirates and stuff on the Internet. And people are putting our stuff up and they're, they're stealing and this, that and the other. This is 180 return where they get it. They absolutely get it. So to where you know th- th- this is where <laughs> actually it was a really cool line that I've heard all else play, other places, but uh, one of the vice presidents said we're going to where our audience is, yeah, which is a vast departure from Walter Cronkite and the '60s generation of news, where we're going to tell you where to be and when to be there. Right, <laughs> and that's the way it is. And again, that just comes back to the whole bigger, the bigger picture of the way we as a society are now starting to consume anything in which we do. Mm-hmm. We do our shopping online. We do, you know, we still may go to the store to buy it, but we're going to check out a couple of things and check prices online before we, you know, drive around all day. That's where we're going to compare is online. Yeah. 
we're gonna like I get the majority of my news. Granted, I'm a I am a large news junkie. Um, I rotate quite quickly between you know Fox and CNN and BBC and all the other stuff. But I still get most of my breaking news faster via Twitter. Yeah. Than I do anywhere else. And, you know, again, it, that's just that's just where our society is going. So, yeah, the, the companies are finally starting to make that available. And uh, in all honesty, if we had had this conversation, gosh, even six months ago, the amount of TV that I could consume on, you know, online in Canada would have been uh, uh, maybe 10 percent legally. We're talking <laughs> of what I, you know, what I can obtain now. Now I can keep up at least with the majority of shows if I want to. Whereas, you know, before I couldn't do that. If I, unless I went to, you know, some torrent site or something, yeah. not that I know what those are, but if I went to what is called a torrent site and found something to download, then yeah, I could watch something. But I couldn't watch last week's episode outside of doing that. So they are, they're moving very quickly to get there. But again, it, it, it will become one of those things when people start to really realize how many people are consuming, uh, you know, essentially TV on devices like their computer and, you know, their iPads and stuff like that who do not have a cable account. That's when I, I think we're really going to see a big difference in how stuff is produced and, and where it's going to go. Because you still, you know, when you're paying that amount for cable, that's a huge amount of revenue that does to some degree go back to, you know, Fox or CBS or whoever's producing the shows you like to watch. Yeah. This kind of dovetails into something else. And Chris, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, from the uh, from PC World, John Brandon, Brandon uh, wrote an, an article comparing streaming and Blu-ray to eh, kind of the beta uh, VHS wars of the early 80s. Uh, he called it format wars. It's not really format wars, but I guess it's a, a, a media war, as it were. And I, I you know, took away from this. He's just asking the question, should people invest in Blu-rays? And I'll ask you, should consultants and end users spec Blu-ray? Or should they more appropriately spec a digital infrastructure that will support HDCP regardless of the media that it's played on? I think you need it, and that's me personally saying that. Because Blu-ray? No, I think you need Blu-ray. And what you have is it's not the, it's not the uh, wars, as they, they say it. It's Take it like you have a 40-mile-per-gallon car in, you know, that you drive every day, and then you got your Ferrari. And that's what it is. You you have the convenience of, of of streaming when you want it, and it's good enough, and it's accepted at that. And then you have Blu-ray, which is that's the one where you're going to sit down and get immersed in it, and you want to see all the fanciness of you know the you know the great job of the production and you know how a movie was uh, shot in 3D, for example. Streaming it, it will get there. But right now, it's 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 the two, um, it's two different types of, of viewing, in my opinion. It's two different experiences. One is convenience. One is every day, while the other one is you sit down. It's it's the private home theater versus the TV in the kitchen. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, to go back to the conversation you just had. I'm trying the Roku Apple TV experiment in my own home, you know, because I don't want to run cable to my kitchen. You know, I want to see if I can if I can do it. You know, and this goes back to. I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to, to offend you. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> but you know, doing the doing that, and it's acceptable to me to just have you know something playing on the set, and streaming is is acceptable. The quality is good enough, but I know that the problem is is that there's going to be people that will just say, you know, we'll read this and take it literally. Yeah, we don't need Blu-ray because Blu-ray. Who wants to pay for Blu-ray? Well, if you know the difference between the two and the quality, and if you are an, a videophile. Or an audio file, you're going to change Blu-ray. There's, there's for the two is basically what I'm trying to say. And, and I would agree with with the fact that in residential there is room for for both. Uh, my life and, and my background uh, is more educational and corporate. I would argue that there isn't room for Blu-ray in there because, as we talked about earlier on the show, these are guys who expect this infrastructure to last them ten years. They're not joking. They're not blinking when they say this, because it's a large expenditure. Uh, If I'm, you know, if I'm consulting someone or advising someone, you know what? Put in put in the 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 digital infrastructure, and put in enough to where, you know, put put it into where if you have a Blu-ray on your laptop or on your computer, it can play. But don't buy a Blu-ray player first of all. And don't base your entire design around Blu-ray because it's not going to be around. There are still uh, instructors at, at, at one of the colleges I deal with that are still playing VHS. So let's start with that. Yeah, VHS. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, and so that's why I, I don't. That's why I think that Blu-ray is going to be kind of lost in this whole little weird transition and cross crossover, where it will be like, I don't know, the mini disc. <laughs> Not to throw another product under Sony's bus, but I, I really do see it as being something that was really cool and really high end. And I agree with your Ferrari analogy; it's a great analogy because that's what it is. And not a lot of people that I know own Ferraris. Yep. Well, I mean, the thing with Blu-ray is you're right. In the corporate sense, they're having a hard enough time just streaming regular, you know, bandwidth let alone HD bandwidth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you're you're now building an entire network, you're right, around it. And then when you throw HDCP into it, and the fact that a lot of our, you know, manufacturers out there are still battling back and forth as far as what connector even to use. You know, that <laughs> yeah. is you know, you, you still got all these things in play. And, you know, it's still very turbulent in my opinion. And you know, there are people that are just basically just laid down and said, we're just going to go ahead and do what is there today. And that's the best we could do simply because, you know, you're, you're building systems that are analog and digital Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're hoping that what you choose is, or what you're installing as, as a a digital system will remain in standard, you know, and that's for corporate, you know, in the, you're right in, in the residential, it's a, it's a completely different thing and you can play around with different things, but yeah, the corporate gets it gets hairy because you don't ever see instructional videos being done on Blu-ray, no. unless you know you're now getting into the copyright issues, which is why Blu-ray was developed to begin with. You know, this is this is all because of the Motion Picture Association. You know, they they wanted that you know th- that those algorithms in there and that, that that coding in there to protect against piracy. So, 
I don't know how that fits into I don't know how it fits into the corporate world. You know, I don't. I, you know, that's. I don't. I don't know if that actually. You're right. I don't know if that actually fits this. Well, the biggest thing with the corporate world, from my view, is the fact that you can you can still have it, but how many corporate clients actually need or desire that true HD setting? Like, it's one thing if you know. Again, you're you're throwing a t- you know a TV on a wall to pretty much play a logo behind the entry desk that you want in stunning HD. But it's a whole other thing if it's, you know, again, your boardroom setting, da 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 where, no, you're not playing any disc-based media. You're, you're trying to do telepresence or, you know, something of that nature. And that's, that's where I see the big difference between the corporate and the residential market is that they just – they really don't need that high-def capability in most situations. Would they like it? Sure. But are they getting high-def media? No. It just doesn't happen. Like I have a friend who uh, produces um, digital training videos for the big three automakers, and he now he does master them in in 1080p. He does export them in Blu-ray, but they have seen their sales, uh, or sorry, not their sales, but they've seen their their usage switch dramatically from the discs that they were sending out, uh, even. Two three years ago on well yeah two years ago on Blu-ray to now where they're doing almost everything digitally and hosted so that each you know dealership can just pull down those videos and watch them at their convenience. Yeah. They're not needing the Blu-rays that even two years ago were kind of the expected medium. Well, and I'll I'll give you a better one than that. When I was in high school, eh, late eighties early nineties, we had a, I worked for a dealership. Uh, as their 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 uh, their janitor, and part of my job was to clean up their their meeting room. And they had this was a Toyota <laughs> and Dodge dealership. They had a laser disc player Ooh. hooked up to their to their big screen TV. And uh, Toyota, this was from it was the reason they had it was because Toyota, and that's what Toyota sent their their uh, training videos on. And towards <laughs> the end of of my tenure there. They had switched over to satellite transmissions simply because Toyota was was not sold on the idea that physical media was the future. This is back in in ninety ninety one, you know, and that was oh. a long time ago. Saved, <laughs> you could have saved Laserdisc. I could. I you know what? I could have. I, I should have go, called Tim. the the Mr. Way to Toyota. Go. Took down so, a whole industry. Yeah, Tim killed Laserdisc. Stop that. Yes, I'll kill Blu-ray if if you let me. But now, see, and as a as a resi guy, I love Blu-ray. I think it's great. Now, the the hardest part for me is just the fact that we don't see people buying as many discs as they used to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, if I sit down and watch something on Netflix, that's great. But I don't want to. I don't want to download the latest. What was it? I download. Um, I downloaded Fast Five and watched that through Apple TV okay. a couple of weeks ago. It was great. But then I threw in a couple of days later um, another movie that I have on Blu-ray that had car chases and all the same jazz and went, wow, this was made you know three years before but looks so much better. Yeah. And you know it did take me that second to go, oh, yeah, well, you watched that one via streaming. So, yeah, it was still good, 
But until they get it to that point when they're able to actually stream, you know, I know it'll be compressed, but some form of semi-uncompressed, uh, you know, 1080p high def uh, with with full resolution sound, that'll be a whole nother ball game, and that'll be a whole nother conversation. But until that date, you know, if I want to watch a, a good action movie or something. Am I going to want to rent it via, you know, again, a digital download or am I going to, you know, try and find a disc somewhere? If I really like it, I'm probably going to find a disc. And see, I'm not that picky. I'm going to find it when, you know, when I'm ready to watch it and, you know, when is, where, where is it available, I guess, is the best well, way to Well, maybe you're not a true movie lover. Probably yeah. not. Since you <laughs> killed Laserdisc and all. I did. Uh, from Ars Technica, I'm going to start ignoring you now. Oh, Chris, from Ars Technica... <laughs> The Samsung is coming out with uh, one of their uh, one of their their screens are going to have a flexible flexible AMOLED screens. Uh, this is from their their purchase of Liqui Vista. My question to you guys is this: uh, They're gonna they're they're saying right now that they're starting with the handsets and they're going to move to tablets and, and other stuff uh, later on. It's coming out next year. This is this is the AV part of this, and it's more of a question to you guys. Do you see, uh, you know, Daylight Draper teaming up with Samsung or somebody else to, I don't know, release a rolled up, you know, projector screen where you pull it down and there's the rolled up AMOLED screen? Why not? That is that is so cool. If they do it, I should charge them. You should oh, absolutely. Um, you're getting rid of throw distance you're getting rid of um you know all this other things that can get in the way of your image uh you know having it rolled up that's one thing you know having this thing you know installed on a wall with a slight curve to it wow yep you know digital signage with waves in it i mean possibilities are you know makes a person giddy but i mean this that's wild (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i don't want to hear it and until that thing goes past the 50-inch size, you know, you can keep it. I mean, that's great that it's flexible. That's going to be used on iPads or, or, or tablets or whatever. That's awesome. I think there's an application for that. But you will definitely get my entrance once that hits the 50-inch mark. And that's going to be a while. Yeah, at least, at least affordably. Matt, uh, how many years are we looking? You know, he, Chris says he wants fifty inch. I'm saying I want a projector screen. So you're for for me that in that in my world you're looking at a hundred, hundred and ten inches. Well, yeah. As soon as I saw this article, my first thought was, man, I know how awesome those Cinescope Stewart curve screens are. Oh yeah. You do this in a curve, you know, like a. I don't know, 16 foot wide, a foot of curb on that radius. I think that'd be just nuts. That being said, you know, we saw OLED screens and MOVD screens, you know, a couple of years ago when they first kind of hit the market and it was, oh, Sony is bringing one, Samsung is bringing one. I still haven't seen one in a store I could buy no matter how much money I have. I think Sony's dropped theirs. Yeah, they have. And so, like, I know, I think it was uh, at CES, Samsung had theirs in, I want to say, like, a a 22-inch form factor that had the weird standoff to the side. It was really cool. It's still not in a store anywhere. Yeah. So, 
I'm kind of with Chris on this one. The fact that it's there and it's going to be in mobile and tablets is really, really awesome. But when when I have a hard time selling people anything less than a 50-inch TV anymore, seeing it on a tablet, as cool as it is, still means nothing to me as a you know screen viewing device. So I, I'd hate to say you know six months and have them take four years to never get there and then produce something cooler. But at the same time, I think it's going to be two, three years before we see this anywhere near the general public in a mass viewing size. And I would agree with that. I think that, that the fact that we're seeing on, on handsets right now is exciting and, and is promising. But I, I don't think you get to an actual display 50 inch or above for at least three to five years in any way, shape, or form affordable. No. So. And, and that's the bottom line is how affordable is it going to be in a smartphone yeah. or on a tablet? Like I, I know how much an iPad costs. I know how much a Zoom costs or, you know, whatever else you're looking at. But how much does a Zoom cost? Because I've never purchased one. Well, not no, a Zoom, not a Zoom. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, not, not a, uh, the Motorola product. There we go. Not the Microsoft product. Um, bad decision Microsoft product. Uh, <laughs> I think a Zoom is... I don't know. They're like four or five hundred bucks. I don't know. Wow. I'm a, I'm an Apple man. But I I definitely can see that on on the cell phone side or the you know smartphone side, where this thing rolls out of your pocket, you hit a button and the screen pops out, and now you just went from a, you know the old tiny cell phone uh, craze that we went through uh, back in the early 2000s, where every phone was getting tinier and tinier. Now the screen just pops right out, and you get yourself your tablet, yeah. and you yeah. fold it back up, put it in your pocket, and you walk out the door. You know, phones are getting big again. This will change that, and that's that's exciting. But from an AV perspective, until it's in the fifties, I don't want to see it. That will work, <laughs> and I won't believe it until I see it. So. And, 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 yeah, and I, and I agree with that too. I see a picture, but I don't know if that's real. And, 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 no, and I photoshopped it's, that actually. <laughs> That was me. Nope. Sorry. If it's, if it's fifty, <laughs> I bought stock, and you know, I was trying to jack it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, if, if it's fifty and it's you know <laughs> under two or three thousand, then then we're still then we're excited. But if it's you know like the first plasmas that were twenty grand a pop, then I'm not excited yet. So I was at at the you know big electronics store recently, and I'm standing there, I'm staring at the um, at all the displays up there. And I hear the, you know, the husband and wife and the wife, the first thing she does, she walks right up. The husband's like, he's lost. The NFL package is up. He, he can't walk. He can't get any closer to the TV at this point. stopped. She walks right past it, goes right to the side of it and goes, you know what? This one's thin. When TVs are being bought based on how thin they are or, you know, there's the two different mindsets. Mm-hmm. It's a flexible, very thin paper-like screen. Oh, that's just going to that's going to appeal not only to people, but maybe finally uh, we'll get some love from like interior designers, you know, who absolutely hate anything electronic in their rooms. Well, yeah. When you look at the fact that today, can we hide a TV effectively? Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. We can put it on a lift. We can, you know, recess it into the wall and put a frame on it. Blah 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 blah. We can do it. That's awesome. Designers love it. They're happy. Wives love it. No problem. But there's all that added work. When it gets into something that you know is a quarter of an inch thick or an eighth of an inch thick, 
and literally could be framed yeah. properly, yeah. then that's that's when it becomes, you know, something that actually becomes a, a part of the aesthetic in a home. Until we do that, we're still just kind of mishmashing stuff to make it work. You're not disguising it no. anymore. It's no. just no. there, and yep. that's when yep. it's effective. And, yep. and just as beautiful. So, uh, real quickly, guys, the, the the folks over at New Bay Media sent me a, a thing and asked me to, to mention it. They are having a roadshow this week. Uh, they're doing it in two different days. One is one you pay for. One is completely free. Uh, it's them and Infocom. It is the 15th and 16th of this week. The 15th is a uh, rental and staging roadshow. To register for that one, you go to rentalandstaging.com. If you'd like to go to the free one, and who doesn't like free things, especially if you're in the Dallas area, uh, go by and uh, check it out. It's at elandregistration.com. I'll put a link on the website uh, if you'd like. But Tuesday is the pay one. Wednesday is the free one, November 15th and 16th. Check it out. It's from uh, New Bay Media and also uh, Infocom. So if you're in the area or headed that way, uh, check them out. It's pretty cool. So. All right, uh, we'll wrap this up, guys, uh, unless you have something else. Anybody have anything else Any you want to pimp, promote, or talk about? No, I'm still upset you killed a laser disc. I know. I'm sorry. I'll send you flowers. Yeah. Really? Are you really? going to try to kill uh, A-Track 2 while you're at it? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's dead? Oh. A-Track? It's gone? That would be Chris no. Meadow. He is from avhelpdesk.com. If you'd like to follow his Twitter, it is at Chris underscore N-E-T-O. Thank you for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. It's a good time. Uh, also, Matt Scott is the other one. He's my uh, token Canadian. You can find him at Omega Audio Video at Matt D. Scott, Matt Scott's hair, or his blog uh, at... Um, mattdscott.com or the rave pubs blog squad thank you very much my canadian friend hey i'm glad i could be here uh that's all the time we have coming up uh if you would go by the website um if you want to follow me i'm I'm td tim david albright uh on twitter but uh, more importantly go by the website take our survey let us know how we can do things better Uh, And also check out the new podcast we have coming down the pike. I'm going to say by the beginning of December, but um, it may be slightly thereafter, but let's say in the next month. So go by there. Uh, The website is avnation.tv, avnation.tv. That's all the time we have for AV Week. 